right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. We get ready for another KU football weekend, another Chiefs weekend. We'll be joined by Brandon McAnderson. Former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network. In about 30 minutes from right now, we'll go over our game picks. We'll preview the Chiefs game. We'll preview the KU game. And I want to talk a little about that right now. KU taking on Duke on Saturday, 3 o'clock. Pre-game starts at 1.30 right here on KLWN. You can also listen to it at 3 o'clock over on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. I had before the season thought that this would be KU's most winnable game outside of South Dakota. And I don't know if that's true anymore. I think it's worth taking a look at and trying to figure out who is the most winnable game for KU the rest of the year. Now, if you go by ESPN SP+, this would be the most winnable game left for KU. They're ranked 89th in the country on ESPN SP+. 96th offensively, 81st defensively, but I think they're a little bit better than that offensively, and I think they're still, you know, you have this with Ken Palm, and I get why. I'm not saying that it's wrong to do this, but I think you still have, like, preseason expectations from last year, um, expectations into the rankings until they eventually teeter off, and you have enough data that you can base it all on what's happened this year. But the offense, I, I think, has been better than that. I don't know. Maybe they haven't been as efficient as you would think because they're running a lot of plays and that might help ramp up the stats. And the point of ESPN SP Plus is to show that, yeah, maybe they're not as efficient as you think. Um, But as far as your worst opponent left, this is the answer. I will agree with that, that Duke is the worst opponent left. But most winnable game, that becomes a different story to me. If you look at the lowest-ranked Big 12 schools outside of Kansas in the ESPN SP Plus. It's a little bit depressing for what KU has the rest of the year. The next lowest team on KU's schedule is ranked 48th in the country. That would be Texas Tech, who's 3-0 so far and has looked pretty good with Tyler Shug at quarterback. West Virginia after that, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, all in the 40s. The reason I don't know if this is the most winnable game anymore, even though I think it's KU's worst opponent they're playing, is A, it's a road game. B, you don't seem to be close, KU, to what you want this thing to look like under this system, under these coaches. And at this point, it feels more like, to me, this is less about the opponent and more about where can KU get at some point this season. So I don't know what I would pick to be the most winnable game. You know, do you go with the Texas Tech game? It's on homecoming. KU's coming off of a bye. That would probably be my pick if I had to single out a game, especially because you played Texas Tech close. You lost them by three last year. You beat them by three at home the year before. So that would probably be my pick, but Texas Tech's a much better team than Duke. Obviously, you're not going to take Oklahoma or at Oklahoma State. 
Do you take home against Kansas State trying to upset them? They're pretty good. They're ranked. At Texas, you played Texas close, but on the road at TCU, they've kind of shaken off those past series troubles with you the last couple times. West Virginia at home, maybe that's the one. It's senior day, West Virginia, even though they just beat Virginia Tech. They're the second lowest ranked Big 12 team right now at 47th in the ESPN SP Plus, and that'll be senior day, so that would be your furthest along in the season. You think that'd be the best version of Kansas, the most in tune with what the staff and the scheme wants you to do? Maybe you upend them on senior day. Those would probably be my two picks, Texas Tech or West Virginia for most winnable and maybe even over this Duke game, which I think is very interesting. Again, the fact that Duke is the worst team you're playing left. KU just has a long way to go from what they want to do. And I don't know if they'll ever get there, to be completely honest, even this season. We just don't. The safe play is almost to just assume that, yeah, things will obviously get better as the season goes on, although there hasn't been a ton of scheme improvement or being able to establish the wide zone from week one to week three, but also you could chalk that up to the opponents getting better, so who knows? You just think it's going to take some time. And I feel like this is too early on. Like, if you were playing Duke at the end of the season, yes, I would take that. But I don't think KU is close to hitting what they could be at the end of this year, which still isn't going to be like a great team or anything. But the team we see KU at the end of the year, the team we see KU maybe even a month, which is when you play Texas Tech off of a bye week. That could be enough to pull off a victory. I'm just having trouble seeing it against Duke. The 16 points may be a little bit high, but I'm not really seeing the victory anymore as I was kind of predicting before the season started. The one thing that Duke does very well is their offensive line has been really good this year. They're 20th in the country in both pass blocking and run blocking grade on pro football focus. Now, that isn't adjusted to opponents, so take it with a grain of salt. That's one of my you know issues with pro football focus that they're not adjusting to opponents. So if you have a A-plus on a math test that you'd give to a second grader, it's worth the same as somebody who got a B-plus on a calculus test, which that's a little silly, but it does show that to their competition, they have played well on the offensive line, and that's a little worrisome because the KU offense stifled last week. How much is the KU going to be able to keep pace if it's back and forth offensively, and with KU's defense struggling to tackle, if the offensive line is able to negate KU's defensive line, which has been the best unit for KU on the defensive side of the ball. Now you're asking that second level of defenders to make those plays and make those tackles. And to this point, we haven't seen that. The linebacking core has one tackle for loss this year. The linebacking core has been missing a bunch of tackles. That becomes a bit problematic. So I, I don't know. There's just a lot here that makes me want to pick Duke. But again, I think KU can make it competitive. And that's a key here, obviously, as we say every week. Can you make it competitive? Can you make it entertaining? I don't think there's any reason they can't. And I think it would be, to be completely honest, a little bit disappointing if you didn't make it at least a little bit competitive in this game and hang around there with Duke. Because this is not a team that should be heads and shoulders, leaps and bounds better than you. The point spread is 16 points. That's two touchdowns, you know? That's that's not a blowout game. And when you look at what this Duke program has done, I think, honestly, it serves as a bit of a beacon of hope for KU fans with what you could become. I mean, David Cutcliffe took over this program in 2008, they were coming off some horrendous seasons. I mean, this is from 2000 to 2007. These are Duke's records, and you could go further back if you wanted, and you'd have even some more worse years. But from 2000 to 2007, Duke went 
David Cutcliffe takes over. Those sound like similar records to what KU has done, right? He goes 4-8, 5-7, 3-9, 3-9. He's building those first four years, but they're staying more competitive than they were in the, the previous handful of years. And then he finally finds something. Year 5, 2012, they go 6-7. and seven, They make a bowl game. 2013, they win 10 games. They go to the Chick-fil-A Bowl and almost beat Johnny Manziel in Texas A&M. 2014, they win nine games. They make it to another bowl game. 2015, they win a bowl game. They go eight and five. These last three years, they've been ranked at one point. They have a down year in 2016, but then they get back to two straight bowl games, seven and eight wins in 2017, 2018, with two bowl wins in another year where you get ranked. Even 2019, you know, if your down years for Duke are five and seven, if your down years for Kansas are five and seven, that'll play. And last year, obviously, was the tough year for Duke, but this is a program that I think you can model if you're Lance Leipold just in terms of showing, hey, this necessarily hasn't been a football school over the previous time, over the past 10 years or whatever. It's undergone some really bad seasons. It's going to take some time, and it's going to take some consistency, but you can get there. And that's the thing I'm most interested about this game, just seeing the comparison of where Kansas is at compared to Duke, a program that has undergone that change that Kansas and Lance Leipold is trying to undergo right now, but is kind of there at the moment. Maybe they're at the back end of it. I, I don't know. David Cutcliffe, that's been rumored that he could retire soon. So maybe they're at the back end of this nice little run that he's had with a program that hasn't typically had these types of runs. But I think that has to be hopeful for KU. So just go out there, be competitive, cover the spread, make it a close game, show some more flashes with Jason Bean, show progress on the offensive line, defense, play aggressive, play physical, tackle better. And if you do those things, win or lose in this game, it's probably going to end up a success if you can be competitive, tackle better, establish the running game a little bit more, and Jason Bean continues to progress and the offensive line doesn't continue to disappoint for KU. Those make this all a success regardless of win or lose. I just don't know if it's a chance as much for KU to win anymore because Duke seems a little better than we might have thought. They beat Northwestern last week. Uh, they've won two straight games after the opening loss, and Kansas just got outscored 31-0 in the second half. And there's obviously a lot of improvement to be had for Kansas, maybe making this one not as winnable as some of those later games just because Kansas will be better down the road, even though their opponents will be better. But I guess we'll wait and see for tomorrow. Again, you can hear the game at 3 o'clock right here on KLWN. Pre-game starts at 1.30 over on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Pre-game will start at 2.30 with kickoff at 3 o'clock between KU and Duke. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and KLWN.com. There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car, and don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash. They are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh, man, 
Where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them, unlimited guest service and most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and body wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. Brandon McAnderson joins us in about 15 minutes from right now. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. On FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with BMAC, we will get to his game picks at the end of his segment. But right now, I'm going to give you my game picks here. 10-5 and five on the year in college football. Losing week last week, 2-3. and three. Sorry about that. First up, number 12, Notre Dame taking on number 18, Wisconsin. It's in Chicago, which I would think favors Notre Dame. Now, Wisconsin... I don't know. Maybe it does favor Wisconsin. Wisconsin is driving distance to Chicago, so you would think you're going to get a good attendance there, but there is a big alumni base. There are a ton of fans who live in Chicago who are Notre Dame fans. I think Notre Dame is going to have a majority of the crowd. It'll probably end up being around a 50-50 split, maybe 60-40, but I don't think it's going to be advantage for Wisconsin in that regard. Badgers are giving up six and a half points in this game. That seems like way too high. Notre Dame has not looked all that impressive so far this season. That's granted. You barely beat Florida State, who is now 0-3. You barely beat Toledo, a team from the MAC who should be pretty good from the MAC. But come on, you shouldn't have to come back late on Toledo when you're where Notre Dame is. And then last week, you beat Purdue, who's a solid team, probably going to be a bowl team. Never really pulled away. Didn't look all too impressive in that game. Wisconsin... Lost their opener in the big game against Penn State, but have since bounced back. And obviously, this game is going to be kind of what you'd expect. You have a couple teams that want to run the football. With Notre Dame, you have the Jack Cohn revenge game. The former Wisconsin quarterback transferred to Notre Dame. He's actually been pretty good for the Fighting Irish. I think he could have a nice little revenge game. And at the very least, I'm kind of thinking Notre Dame is going to win this game straight up. So if you're giving me six and a half, I'd gladly take that because at the very least, I think this is going to be a low possession, low scoring, grinded out defense running first football game that maybe ends 20 to 17, 17 to 13. So if you're giving me six and a half, this seems like way too many. And typically Notre Dame burns me because I'm terrible at picking Notre Dame. I'm either way too low on them and then they cover or I'm way too high on them and they don't cover. And right now I'm way too high on them. So they're probably not going to cover, but we'll go with the fighting Irish here. Number seven, Texas A&M. This is another neutral site game taking on number 16, Arkansas. It's being played at AT&T Stadium in Jerry World. Aggies are giving up four and a half. I'm going to go with Arkansas. They put the beating down on Texas. What if, for all we know, it's just that Arkansas is really good? It's a definite possibility. They were a feisty three-win team a season ago. Should have won four. I think that would have made them four and six. I believe they played ten games with the shortened season last year because the Auburn game, they got kind of screwed. Um, but this is a physical football team. They're good in the trenches. Traylon Burks is an absolute stud at the receiver position. I was really impressed 
with what Arkansas can do. Texas A&M, I'm on the opposite trend of this. I don't think Texas A&M is very good. So four and a half points, I envision this in kind of a rivalry game to be at least closer than that. Wouldn't be surprised if Arkansas wins it and completes the little Texas two-step with Texas and Texas A&M. A&M barely beat Colorado, and Colorado is bad. Like, Colorado can't do anything on offense. And A&M had to beat them by a last-minute touchdown drive. They've got a backup quarterback still in there who hasn't looked very good. I just don't think Texas A&M is that good. And it is going to be unfortunate because this is what I mentioned. It's the SEC cycle of prop each other up where because A&M barely beat Colorado and they didn't end up losing that game, even though they looked bad against a team who's not that good, they're not going to get knocked for it. They're just going to be, oh, well, yeah, you're still a, a top 10 team. You, we won't move you down too much. And what's going to happen is some SEC team is going to beat them. I don't know if it's going to be Arkansas or somebody in the next week or two. Somebody's going to beat them. And they're going to get credit for, wow, what a win that was. They beat a top 10 Texas A&M team. So now they're ranked eighth because they have that top 10 win. When in reality, Texas A&M is not a top 10 team. They're just going to be the ones getting credit instead of somebody else since Colorado came oh so close to beating them. And then when that team gets beat by Georgia or Alabama or Florida, they'll get credit for beating a team who was top 10 who was top 10 because they beat a team in A&M who's top 10, who shouldn't be top 10, but that's neither here nor there. I like Arkansas plus the four and a half onto the big 12 for the final three in college football. Iowa state number four team in the country is giving up seven points. They're at Baylor. I guess I like the underdogs this week. I'm going with Baylor. I was really impressed with what they did against Kansas last week. Really experienced team. They obviously have the athletes last year was a tough year for them. They had a new coach, new coaching staff, in a COVID year that's obviously very tough to deal with. And they came off a year in which they lost so many key contributors from the team. But Dave Rand is a really good defensive coach. I am a little worried about Baylor being one-dimensional on offense. I don't know when they get to the have-to-pass situations how effective they'll be. But I think they can at least hang around. And I think both these defenses are really good. I think it'll be a low-scoring game. Get used to that in the Big 12 this year. There's actually a lot of good defenses and could be lower-scoring games. So I'm going to take... Baylor to cover. This series has been close in recent years. I'll take them plus the seven points. Number 25, Kansas State. How about this? K-State undefeated. They're ranked against an Oklahoma State team who's 3-0 and as well, but every game Oklahoma State has played has been one possession. Oklahoma State, though, is favored by six points. This makes me want to think, okay, Vegas knows something. You know, how is an unranked team favored by six over a ranked team? That just seems like too much. If, it, if they were favored by two or three, like West Virginia was against, who was unranked against a ranked Virginia Tech last week, okay, I get on board with that. Six is a lot. I think Kansas State is good enough defensively, good enough with the running game that they should be able to hang in there. And Oklahoma State hasn't, I mean, they shouldn't have beat Boise State last week, but they ended up winning every team they've played from, I think it was Missouri State week one, I know it was an FCS school, to Tulsa week two, to Boise State last week has been a one possession game figured this that trend continues and this is probably the best opponent you've played so far give me kansas state plus the six west virginia's at number four oklahoma the sooners giving up 17 points i like oklahoma seems like they're due for a big win had close wins with nebraska and Tol or tulane um the defense is starting to come to form for oklahoma now you're just looking at the offense i think they will west virginia's riding off a high of upsetting virginia tech and now you get kind of the rude awakening of having to travel down to norman and, uh, yeah, I like Oklahoma big in that one. All right, my lock of the week, I've been doing this in college football, missed week one, but the last two weeks have hit. 
including last week. Had Baylor. Sorry, but just the right play. Two and one on the year for the lock of the week. I'm going Notre Dame plus six and a half. Like I said, just seems like way too many points in that game. And I kind of think Notre Dame is just going to win straight up. Okay, on to the NFL. I'm eight and two on the year. Three and two last week. First up is the Chargers at the Chiefs. Chiefs giving up six and a half points. This seems like way too many points. I like the Chargers. Um, last year, Chargers forced you to overtime in the first game. Beat you the second game. It was against the Chiefs backups. So take it with a big grain of salt. Um, so far, the Chargers offense hasn't fully put it together, but the defense has been really good. And if you're able to hold the Chiefs under 30 points, which I think is a distinct possibility with this Chargers defense, how good they are and how they've shown in last year that they match up actually pretty okay with the Chiefs. How many points are the Chiefs defense going to give up? And it is a Chargers offense that sputtered a little bit. Justin Herbert hasn't taken that step yet. Maybe that we thought in year two. Just, I can't get out of my head that, like, what's the least amount of points that the Chiefs defense is going to allow? Like, a good game for them is what? Holding the Chargers to high 20s? And if I think the Chargers defense can hold the Chiefs to low 30s into the high 20s, I'm going to take the six and a half points easily here. Uh, New Orleans is at New England. Patriots are giving up three points in this game. I like New England. New Orleans, I think, showed their truer colors last week against the Panthers. I'll say this, though. I think the Saints are going to be that team all year long where we don't really understand them. We can't figure them out all season long because they're going to win some some games like they did against the Packers where you're like, wow, this team's good. And then they're going to lose like last week where they just get dominated by the Panthers and we're going to say, oh, we sure they're so good. I don't know. They kind of look bad. That's just the Jameis Winston experience. I, I kind of envision this team to be an eight or nine win football team who, you know, goes up and down and can pick off some of the best teams. I like New England, though, a little more consistent in this game. They're the home team. I don't know. I guess I'll go with the Patriots. Their defense has been good so far after they had some players come back from opt-outs of COVID last year. So give me the Patriots. Miami taking on Las Vegas. The Raiders are giving up four points. You could make an argument that the Raiders have been the most impressive team so far this season, just in terms of what you have accomplished, not necessarily in terms of, well, I'm expecting the Raiders to be the best team. No, far from that. But they have maybe the best collection of two wins right now. With the Steelers and the Ravens, Steelers team who beat the Bills in week one, a Ravens team who just beat the Chiefs last week, and Derek Carr has been playing at a phenomenal level right now. Now the question, I mentioned this last week with Derek Carr, but he put together another good performance, and we'll see from here. With Derek Carr, it's always been about the inconsistencies. He's good for a handful of those games. We saw them beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead last year, where he just goes off and he looks like an elite quarterback. He just hasn't been able to sustain it, and then they'll lose a game to the Dolphins or the Cincinnati Bengals, and you're like, "Where? what were you doing, Derek Carr? Like, where was the guy we just saw the past couple weeks? So I'm still hesitant on that, but Miami starting Jacoby Brissett at Las Vegas Raiders only giving up four. I, I like the Raiders easy here. Tampa Bay is giving up one and a half at Los Angeles. I think it opened at a pick em. It's moved to Tampa minus one and a half. That's what I'm going to go with. Everybody's on the hype train of the Rams maybe being the team out of the NFC, and that includes myself. But I think early in the season, Tampa Bay is going to be more ready for this. I think they forced Matthew Stafford into some mistakes with that Tampa Bay defense. I like the Bucks in this one, minus the one and a half. And then on to the Sunday night football game, Green Bay taking on San Francisco. Battle of Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur. And supposedly a story came out that, um, I shouldn't say supposedly, a story did come out that Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur didn't really get along 
um, together. So I don't, I don't know if that means anything in this game, but I just have a rule, and this is a rule that goes with a lot of people have similar rules. When you have an elite quarterback like an Aaron Rodgers, a Tom Brady, pa Patrick Mahomes, and you're giving three and a half points, you take the elite quarterback. I think at the very least it's a close game. So three and a half feels like too many to me. But San Francisco's look good. Green Bay, you had the bad week one. Bounce back against the Lions. I wouldn't be surprised if Green Bay wins the game straight up. Three and a half points, though, with Aaron Rodgers. Done deal. That's just... It's an automatic click for me. So I'll go with the Packers in that one. All right, we'll find out what Brandon McAnderson is picking for his game picks coming up on the other side. But first, we'll talk a little KU football with BMAC. We'll be on the call of the game Saturday. KU taking on Duke at 1.30 is when pregame starts kickoff at 3 o'clock right here on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, depending on it. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Joined now by Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back. Uh, so, BMAC, last week, obviously the final score not great for what KU was hoping for against Baylor. But let's separate this thing into two halves. So, we'll start with the first half because it was kind of a tale of two halves. And you were just down 14-7 to at halftime. And it seemed like KU was having a gutsy performance hanging in there. Uh, so let's start with that first half. What would you like that you saw in that first half of play between KU and Baylor? So what I liked was that they were able to be playmakers on defense when they weren't performing at their best. I thought our front seven was tired because they played the whole first quarter. Uh, offensively, you know, they weren't helping much. So it was a ton of plays for the defense and not very many for the offense. I mean, deep into the second quarter, I think that, uh, the offense had 11 total plays. <laughs> so it was, it was rough for the defense, especially with heat being a factor. What I appreciated was the playmaking and the, you know, continuing to stay alive. You know, they end up forcing a fumble with Kenny Logan. Um, they end up getting a couple three and outs before halftime. Um, so there was a lot of things that I liked on defense from that perspective. And offensively, I think they just finally were able to not make big mistakes on early downs, not holding penalties or bad snaps or uh, lost yardage plays on early downs. So I think they were able to avoid some of that and get get some rhythm going. And I thought they had stolen the momentum of the game uh, leading into halftime. So what happened then in the second half? What went wrong for KU that caused – things to get away in the second half? I honestly thought it was just one of those days for them. Uh, you know, being down on the sideline, I could just tell that the – I thought they were flat when the game started, and they kind of worked themselves out of it. And then after halftime, I thought they were flat again. It was almost like a repeat of the first half in the second half to where they go – you know, they have a promising first down play, and then uh, second down, it's a short pass for a, a loss of a yard, and then third down uh, – speed option into the boundary where Bean just didn't see the guy sprinting towards them. But even if he had pitched it, it was a dead play. You know, they had missed that backer on that play. So it was going to be tough to get a first down, even if he had seen that defensive end. And then the opening play was just, you know, kind of the same stuff, just not attention to detail kind of thing. You know, RPO situation, Ricky Thomas, Dave B came up and missed the tackle, and then they just outworked him and made their way down the field. And it just felt like a body blow to the energy in the building. Um, 
you know, just a, just one little play, you know, not some major mistake, one little tiny mistake by Ricky Thomas ends up turning into a touchdown. And I know, you know, a veteran good player like Thomas wants that back. And I know a lot of those guys would want that opportunity back, but it kind of felt like the energy just shifted at that point. So from seeing Baylor in person field level, I'm guessing that didn't really look like a team that was projected to finish in the bottom half of the big 12. Not at all. For one, they, you know, they're old. I think they have 27, they have 27 college graduates on their team. And, you know, that's tough to overcome, especially when Kansas is literally on the opposite side of the spectrum. And then you go from uh, experience to, like, returning starters. I think they have 18 of 22 returning starters. And then the, the two of the returning starters that they were missing are senior uh, grad transfers. So that's up to 20 guys that have started multiple games in multiple systems um, who just are not going to have the same kind of issues that Kansas is to where, you know, you're looking at a fall practice where you don't have much time of preparation. You don't have much familiarity with the system. I mean, Baylor and Coastal Carolina, that's consecutive teams um, with, you know, multiple, multiple uh, veteran players. So it makes things very difficult um, for a young team to play two very experienced teams. And let's be honest, Baylor has some real guys on defense. And their secondary, uh, they're both of their running backs and wide receivers. They have some real guys on that team. Talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, Velton Gardner has now left the program for KU, which means we're going to see more of Devin Neal. Uh, how excited are you to see what Neal can do moving forward? Very excited. I, I'm still very high on that group. You know, I, I think it's a talented group. Uh, you know, losing high saw really hurts because he's a guy I like a lot as well. Uh, Pessy Kickson, you know, flashed. Some things where you're like, oh, this is what people have been talking about. And you also flash some things where the coaches are like, no, this is what we've been talking about. You know, so there's some consistency things to match the talent thing going on. Uh, Lachlan is the most selfless player on the roster. You know, covers kicks like a maniac, will block his butt off, will do some things in the passing game. So he's a plus anytime he's on the field. And then Neil is just, you know, as talented as it gets. You know, he's a young guy who's figuring things out. But what I like about him is even when Belden was the primary player, they would bring in Devin Neal to block. And that's the hardest part about being a running back is blocking. And here you have this 18-year-old guy who's being brought in specifically to block. So if you're talking about uh, commitment, he's got that. If you're talking about talent, there's no doubt about that. He's got the strength. He's got the speed. Now it's just a matter of him gaining experience, you know, continue to develop throughout the season. Is there something to be said for – I, I don't know if this is a way that you can view it with running backs because it's different than quarterbacks where you know multiple guys are going to get carries and you need rest and so forth. But is there something to be said about Neil maybe not having to look over his shoulder anymore with kind of a, a rotational split that he was having with Velton Gardner? See, I know that uh, Coach Leipold talked a lot about that in the first game. That's not something I ever felt as a runner. And I play every team that I played on, you know, other than maybe my 2003 year, you know, Clark Green was pretty much the only back we used extensively. But even then, John Randall rushed for almost 700 yards that season. So I, I was never on a team that didn't have at least a two-back system. I played in a, you know, a three-back system my junior year where it was a whole lot of Cornish, a little bit of me, and a little bit of Jake Sharp. The next year, you know, Jake and I pretty much split reps. 
I feel like the best way to get a rhythm as a running back is to watch the game. You know, watch how things are unfolding, watch them to see where you can get little opportunities because you don't know how many you're going to get. Being in the running back rotation obviously doesn't guarantee you're going to get 20 carries. I mean, look at Velton Gardner. He was a starting back, you know, and had the 18 carries in game one, but over the next two games did not. So it's more of like a – it's a mixed bag. And I I am not as big on rhythm as this coaching staff appears to be. Um, I think it's more of a a watch the game, do your job, and do the best you can with the opportunities you get. What have you seen so far from that wide zone scheme from what we saw week one against South Dakota through the last couple weeks with Coastal Carolina and Baylor? Is there progress moving forward, or has it looked about the same from what it was early in the year? I think the wide zone itself has looked about the same. But what, what you're looking for now is what kind of things are they trying to, you know, to help. I think one of the things that's worked better for our O-line is counter. We ran counter a couple times. Devin Neal had a couple of good runs at a counter. And I think it's just a more comfortable thing for them because it's more of a man-blocking team, which, um, you know, LSU-type stuff, you know, the stuff that, they, that Les Miles did was more man-blocking, meaning – you know, we're not blocking a zone and then working two. It's not two guys working. Zone is basically two guys working two guys. We know where we're going. You don't. Man blocking is more, we need to get people out of this spot because this is where the ball is going. So I think there's just a difference in philosophy. And I think that, you know, Coach Cole, like he's trying to find different ways to, to get the running game going. But you can tell the, the big issue now is that they they planned everything to be built off of what they were able to do in the outside zone game. But because it's not effective, you're seeing different kinds of defenses. You know, like I think what they wanted to do with their heart of hearts was be a primary outside zone team, sprinkle in some inside zone encounter, and then run boot stuff and use bean speed. But I think what's happening is that bean speed is the thing that people care about the most. So there is no boot game. (laughs) There's no way you can't get guys on the edge. You can't really threaten those guys in the run game because we're not getting blocks inside. So those outside guys that would normally be affected by the stretch of outside zone and boot aren't as concerned about it because being speed is the primary thing they're worried about. So I think Coach Kodolnik, he's got solutions. He just needs time to put them in. I think that this is just a product of having so little time to prepare, but they don't have their whole playbook in. I would venture to guess it's maybe at 30 40%. That's just a guess. But I think they've got more things they can do to counteract their weaknesses, but they don't have them in yet, and I think they will as the season progresses. You know, when you look at the lack of practice time that this coaching staff has had just by not being there for spring practice, I know Lance Leipold mentioned this on Hawk Talk on Wednesday night, that you typically get, I think it's 15 spring practices, and having that missed out, basically, if you would add up the practices you've had so far during the season with three weeks, if you just assumed for practice five days a week, basically they'd just be caught up to where they should be in week one, now in week four. So uh, would that mean you think we start to see some of that improvement in some of that regard starting now because they are back on schedule or is it still behind schedule because maybe some of these past weeks, I I don't know what a a normal practice regimen would be where is it about scouting the opponent and getting prepared for the opponent specifically, or is it more internal evaluation during those practices? 
I think this has been the whole dilemma is that they've had to do both at the same time. During my career, we always treated spring as almost like a laboratory to figure out where people need to play. Someone might make a drastic position change. You know, someone like uh, uh, Justin Thornton, you know, who was an all Big 12 level safety later on in his career, spent time in the spring at wide receiver. I always bring this one up. John Cornish, the year before his breakout year in 05, spent the spring at linebacker. So I think that's where you get to see, uh, can this guy do it? Oh, yeah, he can, but do we need help here? Or what, what position this guy, Jerome Kemp, was a running back who spent time at safety during the spring practice that helped him break out. Um, you know, Nick Reed was a safety that's been a spring at linebacker to see if that would work out. So it was kind of the laboratory. So you don't get that. So now what they're trying to do is find pieces in season while preparing for an opponent, which is doubly difficult. I think a good group to look at is offensive line. Offensive line is a group that we saw as having a lot of depth in terms of, I don't want to say a lot of that, but about eight guys that we felt like could really play. So you lose Grunhard in week one, who was a, who had a strong performance in week one, in my opinion. You lose him, so now you're putting in Michael Ford simply because he has a better understanding of what you're trying to do. He was a guy that was slotted at right tackle. The only reason he was able to move in the right guard is because their familiarity with him, his familiarity with the offense. But then you have guys like Adams Reed, you have guys like Chris Hughes and Mapetti, where you're not even really sure where those guys can go. Now, you know, you end up in the Baylor game with the score being inflated and getting away from them. You end up putting Lapetti at guard. Maybe they liked what they saw because what you saw in the depth chart was Lapetti's no longer the backup center, he's the backup left guard. So that's just a small example of what if Lapetti's best position is right tackle? When, how would they have ever even known that? You know, they basically had to slot him into a position and play him and see if he could do it. And if he could at a, at a good level, that's the backup. But they don't really know everywhere that those guys can play. They don't even know possibly where their all their strengths are positionally. So I think it's a huge, huge challenge that they've been up to and they've not shied away from, but it, it's a challenge. Talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So Duke is the opponent this week. Uh, any thoughts, uh, early looks on, on how you think KU matches up against the Blue Devils? I think physically it's a good matchup. And I thought the same thing about Baylor. As experienced as Baylor was in that 14-7 into the third quarter, you could see that Baylor was not a complete mismatch for Kansas. Yes, they were older. Yes, they were a little stronger at spots, but not a complete mismatch. I feel the same way about Duke. Duke has a you know, has a famed offensive coordinator, so they're going to be able to do things and execute on offense in ways that you would expect a team with that type of coordinator. Um, so that's going to be something that they'll have to prepare for. And that's one of the many challenges that this Baylor game provided for them was that Baylor had played two teams. They didn't have to do anything in terms of schematically. And that was something Borland was worried about going into the game. That's not going to be the case this week. You know, Duke has been in some tight contests, been in some good contests, so they're going to know what to expect. And I think they're going to have a game plan that's going to put them in a position to win the game. Um, Now, whether or not they're able to execute and finish a game, you know, is something that's part of this development that we'll be tracking, and hopefully they'll be more prepared. We've heard so much about how the KU defense is – uh, more of a base defense, and that doesn't mean there's not intricacies and, and complications there, but uh, that it's more about what you're doing and, and filling in certain roles and, and your job, what you're supposed to do. Duke runs a really fast offense. They run high tempo, and they're getting off a ton of plays. I think it's the most plays uh, per something in the country right now. Um, based on that, uh, with how KU's defense runs, does that actually work out well for KU that they're not 
trying to come in with all these different complicated schemes and and different plays and so forth that in a game like this where you're going to basically be asked to, okay, just hurry up, get back to the ball, run run a similar play, that KU being coached to do what they're currently doing might actually help against that type of uh, style for Duke. Absolutely. I mean, it's the reason why you would want that type of you would want that type of defense anyway. You would want a defense that's able to play and keep things in front of them so that through rotating systems, through pace of play, you don't have a lot of sight adjustments. You're basically like, we're still lining up and playing, but now we have to execute. So that means they've got to be, they've got to contest catches. And that's what I thought. That's why the Baylor game was interesting. I, these were things that they had been doing in the opening two games that they didn't do in the third game. You know, the tackling wasn't on the par. The, uh, the competitiveness at the point of attack for passing wasn't up to par. This was a group that, you know, the corners were very aggressive, the safeties were very aggressive, and in that Baylor game, they just weren't. So I think there was just some things mentally that they just weren't connecting like they usually do. But if you're talking about from a schematic standpoint, this is why you do something like that. Your sub-packages are minimal. Your defensive, uh, you know, what, how many, how variations of things you run is minimal. You want to get up, line up, play, execute, tackle and keep the ball in front of you. And I think that's where they are right now. Now it's a matter of can we execute that game plan. And at times, last Saturday they were, and at times they weren't. So it's a matter of can they execute. All right, let's get on to our game picks for the week. You are 7-8 and eight in college football, so we'll see if this is the week they get you above 500. Number 12, Notre Dame, taking on number 18, Wisconsin in Chicago. The Badgers are giving up 6.5 points. Uh, I like the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Good defense. Number seven, Texas A&M is taking on number 16, Arkansas in Jerry World. The Aggies are giving up four and a half. I like the Razorbacks. Yeah, I wonder if, uh, because obviously Jerry Jones, an Arkansas alum, it's being played in his building. I wonder if he's going to have, you know, I don't know, maybe some way of uh, impacting the game in some way to Favorite Arkansas? Who knows? Number 14, Iowa State. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Number 14, Iowa State, minus seven at Baylor. Oh, minus seven, Iowa State at Baylor. Interesting. I'm going to say say Iowa State. I think there's some things that Baylor has not really been forced to do that Iowa State will force them to do, and I don't know how good they are on offense at those things. Number 25, Kansas State at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State unranked, but they're favored by six points. I like Oklahoma State. I think, like I said, I think Kansas State's been able to do some things against their opponents that Oklahoma State won't allow them to do. And we'll see if they can do them or not, but I'm going to say they can't. And And last one for college football West Virginia is at number four, Oklahoma. The Sooners are giving up 17. I don't like them to cover just because they've been – I think they're kind of shifting their identity to being a you know, a defensive team for right now. I think that will continue this week. To the NFL, you are 6-4 and four on the year, 3-2 and two last week. Uh, Los Angeles is coming to Kansas City. Both teams coming off of a loss. The Chiefs are giving up 6.5. Mm, I like the Chiefs. I'm, I'm going with the Chargers there. I just, I don't know. That's a lot of points, man. Uh, New Orleans at New England. Patriots giving up three points. Oof. I like a Saints bounce back. I don't have any any reason for that. I just like a Saints bounce back. In Jameis, we trust. Miami at Las Vegas. The Raiders, I mean, uh, unbelievable how good the Raiders are. Uh, they're, they're giving up four points against the Dolphins. Uh, 
I like the cover. I, the Raiders have simply gone from a defensive, a clueless defensive coordinator to an average defensive coordinator, and they went from unproven backup players on defense to proven veterans. Funny how that works. Yeah, it's I, I don't even know what's like more impressive. Max Crosby looks like one of the best defensive linemen in the league, and then Derek Carr is I don't know. It, it's it, it's weird with Derek Carr because you go back what four or five years ago, like there was a year in there where it felt like Derek Carr was ascending and was like in the MVP race, and he was considered one of the favorites at one point in the in in that season four or five years ago. And since then, it's kind of dropped off, but it feels like. It's headed back toward that. Yeah, I think the hardest thing for people to understand that don't watch the Raiders is Derek Carr is frustrating because he's so talented. If he wasn't talented, people would just be like, oh, yeah, this guy stinks. But I think the, the problem with him is his high highs often come in big games and big moments. It's just the games that they should win. He usually underperforms or he'll get extra conservative. And this year, that person hasn't existed. I have a theory on that. I think it's ultimately a collective thing. I think it's not just him. It's a John Gruden thing. What's happened in the opening two weeks is Josh Jacobs is injured. So they cannot, they cannot count on him to carry the team the way they would, I think, theoretically, they would like to do. It's caused them to be more aggressive on early downs, throwing the ball, even if you know, their short design West Coast routes, he's still getting through his progression and making stuff happen. So I think it's a cause of two things, and I hope it's a trend that continues. Tampa Bay is giving up one and a half points at Los Angeles for the Rams. I like the Rams. I'm, I don't. I, I like. I, I want to see them get challenged a little bit by by a good defense. That's definitely going to happen Sunday. Sunday night football: Green Bay at San Francisco minus three and a half. San Fran is minus three and a half. Yes. Uh, I like Sam Fred. I, something's going on with Green Bay, and I think it'll take some time, but their division's so bad, they'll figure it out. Yeah, it's dangerous betting again to Aaron Rodgers when uh, he's, he's got points, but, yeah, maybe Vegas knows something. Who knows? They always seem to know something. They need to tell me, though, so I can, <laughs> so I can benefit all right, he's Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network. BMAC, enjoy, have a good weekend, and uh, have a good call on Saturday for the KU Duke game. Appreciate you, man. All right, that's Brandon McAnderson joining us, as always, on a Friday here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depend on it. Chiefs take on the Chargers on Sunday at noon. I just want to take a quick moment real quick before I get into this game. Uh, a guest that we have on, I don't know, couple times a month, maybe. Uh, Joshua Briscoe, who uh, times ours on The Athletic and works for 810 and um, writes for SI Now. He was admitted to the hospital. So prayers up for jo- for Josh. This is a couple nights ago. And uh, I know that yesterday his, his dad kind of was tweeting, letting people know what was going on um, and that he was – admitted to the ICU at one point, but they seem to have diagnosed what the issue was and sounds like he's doing a lot better. So good news there, but keep saying your prayers for Josh Briscoe, somebody that we really enjoy having on the show and hopefully can have him on the show again at some point in the relative future. Um, So the Chiefs take on the Chargers and the Chargers are, are interesting because they were the team a lot of people were picking and this happens each and every year where it's, well, you know, my surprise team in the AFC, my surprise team in the AFC West, watch out for the Chargers. 
happens every single year. I actually thought it had some real credence this year because of the fact that you did have a new coach who I respect what he did with the Rams defense, and you actually have good pieces on both sides of the ball, and you have the quarterback. You have the superstar potential with Justin Herbert. And they go out week one against the Washington football team and what's seen as one of the better defense in the NFL, they win 20-16. to 16. Then last week, you lose a close game to the Cowboys. Still don't totally know what to think of this Chargers team because you're just 1-1. One one. You have a close win over a Washington football team who, again, the defense is pretty good, though they give up even more points to the Giants the next week, and the offense isn't very good. Uh, and a Cowboys team who I think is pretty good, but I don't think the Cowboys are like the best team in the NFL or anything like that. And so far, what's interesting to me has been the offense hasn't lit it up quite yet for the Chargers. Justin Herbert has more interceptions than touchdowns right now. Um, the running game hasn't gotten totally going for the Chargers. And again, it's easy to explain away 20 points to that Washington defense, but then you see him give up 29 to the Giants with Daniel Jones. You only score 17 on a Cowboys defense, which was horrendous a season ago and gave up what, 30-something points to the Buccaneers in week one? So I don't, I don't totally know what to think. Is Justin Herbert having a sophomore slump? Is it just two games that it's too small of a sample size? Way too early to tell. But certainly the Chiefs defense has been very bad this season. So you would think this is going to be a perfect opportunity for the Chargers offense to get going. Maybe we should view it the other way, though, too. Maybe we should view this in a way of, well, maybe this is an opportunity for the Chiefs defense to get right. Because it's not, you know, a bad Chargers offense, but maybe it's not as good as as we thought it was going to be. Maybe Justin Herbert isn't ready to take that next step into superstar. And if he doesn't, then the Chiefs should be able to win this game pretty easily. But the question to me becomes, this Chargers defense has looked pretty good so far this season. That's the counter to all this. And now that Derwin James is back healthy, he's probably the best player on the defense. Joey Bosa, we know. This is a Chargers team that has given the Chiefs some trouble in the past. I think of the games last year, the Chargers won in Arrowhead. Now, that was with a lot of the backups in for the Chiefs, so it doesn't totally count. But even the game in L.A., the Chargers very easily could have won that game. You had to have a Harrison Bucker, what, like 58-yard field goal in overtime just to beat the Chargers. It was a very tight-knit game, and the defense was able to hold down the Chiefs, and that was without Derwin James. So... A couple things at play here. You have the strength of the Chargers defense, which has had past successes against the Chiefs offense, a Chiefs offense that hasn't really been slowed down this year. I mean, you're talking about over 30 points against the Browns in a lower possession game. You're talking about 35 points against the Ravens, even with the fumble at the end of the game, even with an interception from Patrick Mahomes. The offense has yet to really be stopped outside of just shooting themselves in the foot, really, this year for the Chiefs. You have that. And then you have the Chargers offense, which is supposed to be better, but it struggled versus the Chiefs defense, which is supposed to be, you know, not great, but it's definitely supposed to be better than what it is right now when it looks like maybe the worst defense in the NFL. And you have those two colliding against each other. As we mentioned in the game pick segment, six and a half points is the spread. That seems like a lot in this game. Obviously, last year, the Chargers would have covered the spread both times if it were six and a half point spreads. Um, you are still in the month of September, and even though that number was shattered that Patrick Holmes finally threw an interception in September, these are still his September numbers. 11-1 and one with 38 touchdowns and one interception and almost 4,000 yards in those 12 games. So he's still 
has the overall been very, very good in the month of September. And when you look at how he's done um, against the Chargers, he's gone 4-1 and one in his career, but just a 61% completion percentage. That is one of the lower marks that he's had against teams in the NFL. He does have 10 touchdowns to two interceptions, but QB rating, even though it's still good compared to the league, and his yards per game are lower than most of the other teams he's going up against. Yards per attempt, lower than some of the other. So the Chargers have played them close. They did last year. I like the Chargers to cover the spread. I still like the Chiefs to win the game. I mean, you're talking about a bounce-back situation, too, which usually that's what makes good teams really good. They avoid having losing streaks, and a lot of teams are able to bounce back after losses. That's usually a big thing. So it's kind of a tough get for the Chargers to have to play the Chiefs coming off a loss when they're going for that bounce back, although the Chargers are too. So I like the Chiefs, but I think it's going to be a close game. I think this will probably be the first game the Chiefs are held under 30 points with that good Chargers defense, and that's, I think, what has to scare you the most. If you're only able to score you know, 27, 28 points, which is still a good number against a good defense, can your defense hold? Can your defense hold the Chargers to under 30 points? That is the question to me. And to this point, you would probably say no. So maybe I'm talking myself into the Chargers even winning this game. But maybe this is, after a loss, kind of a slap to the face, a reminder of, hey, do you not remember what just happened in the Super Bowl? Do you want that to happen again? I thought you figure this out. And the good news for the Chiefs is they have that extra edge of coming off a loss. We'll see if they handle it the right way. They've made mentions this week that the lack of tackling and defense is a mentality issue, to which I say, first of all, it might be a good thing that you lost to switch that mentality. But second of all, what do you mean your mentality was wrong? You just lost the Super Bowl last year. Is that not enough edge coming into the season? You're just opening up the season. How is your mentality already off? You're playing two teams who made the playoffs in week one and week two. If your mentality hasn't been up for those, is it going to be up all season long? So I don't know how much I buy into that, but I'm interested to see if maybe getting challenged, you know, is enough to ramp things up, not just for the defense, but I guess Clyde Edwards-Alaire as well, who, let's see... This could go one of two ways. It's either the beginning of the end for Clyde Edwards-Alaire in Kansas City and just that, you know, okay, well, here we go. We're never going to live up to the billing of using a first-round pick on a running back, which is already a high standard to begin with. Or it's going to be a turning point where we look back and say, man, maybe that's just what he needed. He needed to experience some type of failure so they'd get things turned around. I don't know. But Sunday will definitely be a very interesting game with the Chargers. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Two hours down, one to go. KU takes on Duke tomorrow right here on KLWN. Pre-game at 1.30, kickoff at 3 o'clock. The KU defense going to have their hands full. We saw what happened against Baylor, and that wasn't necessarily a two-dimensional offense. Like They can pass the ball, but I don't know how good of a passing team that is for Baylor uh, if they're going to be stuck in, in certain situations. Duke is a different animal. Duke can hit you in the passing game pretty hard, but they can also run the ball. And on the year, Duke is one of the faster playing teams in the country, which is interesting. You don't necessarily think of Duke playing to that uh, style of football this year. But if you go look at how they've graded out on Pro Football Focus this year, they're a top 25 offense right now. They're ranked number 25 in the country in offensive grade to this point. And that is mainly put together by the passing attack, where they rank 20th 
in their passing grade this season, or excuse me, in their pass blocking grade this season, and they're 35th in their passing grade, which comes from the quarterback. So you're getting a lot out of that. Now, the receiving grade is a little bit lower, but the offensive line has been really good for Duke, and that's led to the passing game. Again, 20th in, in pass blocking. They're actually also 20th in run blocking as well for Duke. The offensive line is very good for the Blue Devils, and that matches up with probably the strength of the KU defense with their defensive line. So that could be problematic for KU, especially if they're not tackling. Gunnar Holmberg has thrown for 812 yards, over 70% completion rate through three games so far. You have the running back Durant, who has nearly 400 yards in three games. The receiver Bobo has nearly 300 yards in three games. They have a kind of three-headed monster offensively that has been led by this fast attack, and David Cutcliffe obviously calling the plays. He's had a lot of success in years past. It'll be interesting to see how this KU defense matches up, and for KU to hang in there, I think you know where KU can really exploit Duke is more so when KU has the ball and Duke's on the defensive side of the ball. Not that KU's been a great offense, but that is the weaker unit for Duke. They're 87th in um, defensive grade on pro football focus, and when you look at uh, college football SP+, they're just 81st in the country on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, they don't grade out very well in a lot of different areas defensively. So this is a game that KU's offense has to come together. And for KU to win a game like this, you're probably looking at them having to put up 30-something points. I mean, that, that, that's been the case so far with Duke scoring 28 against Charlotte, um, scoring 30 against Northwestern. You're probably going to have to put up 30 points. And Duke has only allowed 31 to Charlotte their season high. So they haven't been just like a terrible defense, but that's going to be the recipe for success. Can KU get to 31 points? Because offensively, Duke has a good offense, but can KU show improvement from where they were last week against Baylor? You're going to give up points. Can you just limit that to what it is if you're going to try to pull the upset here in this game? My final thought is that I think KU is going to cover the spread, but I think Duke's going to come away with the win. I mean, before the season started, I actually was picking Duke to win or Kansas to beat Duke. I was picking that as their their second win of the season. I thought this was the most vulnerable opponent that KU would have to play this season. And it still could be, as we discussed in the open, but maybe not as vulnerable as you once thought. Maybe the distance between them and a Texas Tech game isn't quite there. So 16 points seems like too much. I think this will be closer to a 10 to 14 point game. And for that reason, I'll take KU with the spread, but I'll take Duke to win overall. And the question from there becomes, if Duke does win this game, how how do you kind of view that for KU moving forward? Right? Like, what would um, kind of be the thought of that? And by the way, the over-under is 57, so I guess the Vegas expected score is like 37-20, to 20, something like that, 37-21 in favor of uh, Duke over Kansas. You know, you can, as we saw in the Coastal Carolina game, you can not cover the spread if you're Kansas and still come away showing some impressive things. That's the most important thing that you're looking for. But in this game specifically, I think there is probably a bigger correlation between you being able to cover this spread if you're Kansas and having an impressive outing. Coastal Carolina was a ranked team on the road. You can understand why you would not be able to cover the spread in that situation. And the spread isn't the be-all, end-all to determining how good you were that day because you can give up a late garbage-time touchdown. You can 
just have some bad turnover luck. I don't know. There are things that could happen that doesn't necessarily mean the score impact or was truly indicative of how competitive or non-competitive you were. But in this game specifically, taking on a team who just won a couple games last year, was horrendous last season, a team who shouldn't be just overly more talented than you. You don't necessarily have to win, and it's on the road, but you should at least be able to be competitive. You should at least be able to hang in there. So I would think it would be very important for them to come away with finishing within the spread just because that, to me, would tell a good sign that there was progress made from last week when you had your worst week against Baylor into this week. Progress from week one to this week. And that is as important as anything for KU moving forward. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.